0: Hello and welcome to People and Profit on France 24. I'm Charles Belgrand, and in this week's show, we'll take stock of the world economy at the start of 2024. In its Global Economic Prospects report, the World Bank reaches the conclusion that we are in a decade of wasted opportunity, where instead of being on track to reach key development and climate goals by 2030, We've seen the slowest half-decade of growth in 30 years, with devastating consequences, especially in developing and low-income economies. This year, and for the third consecutive year, the world economy will grow at a slower rate than the previous year. 2024 will see a growth rate of 2.4%. That's three-quarters of a percentage point lower than the average of the 2010s. The World Bank Deputy Chief Economist Ihan Kose, also the director of Prospects there, is joining us now. Thank you so much for speaking to us on People and Profit.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, I'd like to begin by talking about one factor in particular, debt. Uh, Financial stress is marked as one of the downside risks for growth in the coming year on your report. And uh, looking at the situation for developing economies, there's what you call a silent debt crisis taking place. Can you explain what you mean by that?
1: Now, when you look at the number of developing countries, uh, they have very large stock of debt, uh, give and take around 75 percent relative to their GDP. That's like 20 percentage points above other developing economies. And they are facing a significantly higher borrowing cost. And that's around you know, 20 percentage points higher than what uh, most other developing economies are facing. In an environment you know you have elevated costs remaining in terms of the real interest rates, uh, these economies don't have access to global financial markets. In fact, many of them haven't been able to issue any bonds. In other words, they weren't able to use financial markets to roll over their debt obligations. But they are small, and global community is not paying the necessary attention. That's why, you know, we are calling it a silent debt crisis. You don't hear about these economies in headlines. You don't read about them in media that often.
0: So we've, uh, we've mentioned this, that uh, the, the World Bank and other multinational uh, multilateral financing institutions have stepped in uh, to provide these countries with financing options. But what needs to happen for private sector loans and investment uh, to return to these developing countries? What needs to happen?
1: Now, uh, ultimately, it takes two to tango. Uh, these countries need to undertake certain reforms in terms of finding ways to reduce inefficiencies when it comes to spending and finding ways to basically expand the tax base, increase the revenues, improve the investment climate. So uh, foreign investors would like to come and invest in these economies. Now, um, this is uh, easier said than done, but they have done before and they need to, you know, put together another Herculean effort to push basically their reform progress forward. In the meantime, what you mentioned is critical. The global community needs to provide at least bridge support. So during these difficult times, they are able to still continue allocating the uh, the, the, the types of uh, spending for education, for health. So they are not going to regress when it comes to you know, the basic development objectives.
0: We've seen uh, how complicated it can be, though, for uh, two people to tango in this particular uh, uh, scenario because in some uh, scenarios, like in Zambia, for instance, we've seen so many uh, outstretched-out negotiations where uh, it's tough to get bilateral creditors on board because they want to make sure that no one is getting a better deal than the other one is, and it's tough also on top of that to get private sector uh, creditors to be uh, on board for restructuring. How do you get all these people to sing from the same hymn sheet and get these people out of this mess?
1: I think uh, you basically are asking the the right question, Uh, given the kind of the the challenges these economies are facing and the type of protracted negotiations we have been seeing over the past three, four years, it is critical for the global community, large economies, large creditors, basically get together and agree on how to accelerate the, the, the resolution process and agree on uh, a set of broad parameters to provide relief to these economies.
0: I'd like to move on to one of the policy moves uh, the World Bank says uh, works for developing countries, and that's to encourage trade and financial flows across borders. That's one of the reforms that uh, the World Bank advocates for. But uh, growing trade fragmentation is proving to be a downside risk for global growth, and this is driven by a rise in, in geopolitical, geopolitical tensions. Uh, what can be done to reser- to reverse that trend?
1: I think uh, uh, advanced economies especially uh, need to realize that as much as they see issues in the context of um, security national security in the context of diversifying supply chains ultimately the trade uh, restrictive measures take a toll on their economies as well so in a sense they are shooting themselves in the foot by introducing all types of restrictive measures and really heightening the tensions uh, in the context of you know large economies so we are expecting Uh, in a sense, the calm to prevail when it comes to trade. Uh, Trade has been a key engine of economic growth, has been key in terms of reducing uh, billions of out of poverty. So uh, we need to keep in mind that rules-based trading system uh, that has delivered so many dividends uh, is beneficial to us all, especially developing economies.
0: When countries favor economic sovereignty and security by trying to protect or, or build up their own <coughs> industries, their own supply chains, um, can we say that this hurts them in the short term, but potentially isn't this, this a good thing in the long term?
1: Now, uh, ultimately we need to think about the kind of the implications of these policies, uh, for prices, for efficiency, uh, You know, if you are very good at basically producing certain things, maybe you can uh, focus on those. I am good at producing certain things, Uh, I will, uh, you know, focus on those. So as much as there are on the paper good reasons, we need to think about what these types of interventions uh, basically absorbing the supply chain would imply for cost of production, for the, you know, the cost uh, ultimately consumers are facing. And what are the implications for the, you know, the, the welfare of the overall society?
0: The conflict between uh, Israel and Gaza and its regional ramifications has a potential impact on global energy supply, but also global trade uh, with the attacks led by the Houthi rebels uh, on maritime transport uh, in the Red Sea. What's been the impact of that so far and what can, it, can we expect it to be in the coming year?
1: So uh, we see at least, you know, two critical developments. Number one, diversion of trade rather than going to Red Sea, going to the south. And, of course, that's going to add time in terms of uh, transportation of the goods and the cost. And the cost of shipping uh, has increased uh, at least, you know, when you look at the high frequency numbers significantly. Now, uh, if the conflict escalates and we see a protracted period of, you know, bottlenecks in the Red Sea. Uh, these types of uh, diversions in trade increased costs. Will have implications uh, for the overall trade, of course, for the overall inflation.
0: Um, the battle against inflation is uh, is what dictated the moves of, of major central banks, especially since uh, early 2022 and, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, those increases increases have since peaked and are are steadily. Declining, but there are factors that could either slow that decline down or even push prices back up again. What are those factors?
1: So we are cautiously optimistic about uh, prospects uh, of inflation in the coming months. Uh, we have seen so far you know, a significant decline. Now what uh, we are monitoring nowadays, one, of course, uh, what we call the core inflation When you take out the prices of energy and food, they tend to be quite volatile. How core inflation is moving? And there is still uh, quite a bit of persistence when it comes to core inflation. And the second thing of course we need to think about implications of geopolitical tensions and the possibility of geopolitical tensions escalating having implications for you know the cost of oil uh, cost of food and then that will have second round impact on overall inflation so uh, the central banks will be cautious uh, look at the data carefully they will look for a sustained decline In inflation as well as in core inflation before starting, you know, cutting interest rate. Having said all of these things, uh, what we have seen so far, uh, it has been quite remarkable and we are optimistic that, you know, it will continue bearing all these risks I mentioned.
0: And finally, uh, circling back to our first topic of conversation, how big an impact do the world's biggest central banks um, have on the debt situation in developing e- countries? And, and can debt distress in developing economies be linked to restrictive monetary policy in advanced economies?
1: Now, uh, obviously, uh, when major central banks like the U.S. Fed uh, increases interest rates, uh, that has implications for the cost of borrowing, that is the reference uh, rate. So, uh, But does it basically uh, uh, have this direct impact on the debt situation in developing economies? Uh, uh, on, on the one hand, you might be able to say yes, uh, because the cost of borrowing increases, it's difficult to roll over debt. But on the other hand, Uh, There is a stock of debt out there, so central banks did not trigger that debt problem. Uh, Ultimately, national governments were accumulating this debt and probably were not necessarily spending efficiently. Uh, So uh, when we think about the debt issues, we need to think about why governments have been accumulating this much debt uh, over this short time period in the 2010s, and uh, we were not seeing the type of uh, investment accelerations we wanted to see in these economies.
0: Ayhan Kose is Deputy Chief Economist at the World Bank. Thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. And that's all we have time for. Unfortunately, if you want to see our previous interviews and shows, you can search for People in Profit on the France24.com website or the podcast platform of your choice. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on social media. In the meantime, thanks for watching and stay tuned to France24. the world is ever changing the news doesn't wait that's why at France 24 we'll always be there to help make sense of world events for the best international coverage 24 hours a day no matter what France 24 is with you everywhere all the time
1: Liberté, Liberté Egalité, Actualité,
0: actualité.